You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, WHTT.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. Tonight we have with us Pastor Chuck Baldwin, who is the pastor of Liberty Fellowship in Kalispell, Montana, which is a very beautiful place. Uh, He speaks on a wide range of subjects vital to our lives, but also he has a way of reminding us of how God sees us and what he might expect of us. Um, what Jesus has a plan, that Jesus has a plan for us here, and that uh, we'd best not ignore it. Uh, one of these issues Dr. Baldwin does not shirk is war in faraway places that uh, we find so easy to ignore in our time. We have observed that our country no longer fights in traditional wars, but what might be called uh, controlled slaughters or annihilations of people who are all but helpless to defend themselves against our weaponry. This has been, in fact, the case in the Middle Eastern wars, so-called wars, and we can well imagine what Jesus must be saying and thinking about these killing events. Tonight, uh, Dr. Baldwin will speak to us about his recent article, Trump's Unholy Wars, uh, most currently the pending and the demand for war against the people of Iran. Uh, but before I begin, I'd like to ask my associate, Craig Hansen, to pray for Pastor Baldwin and his message and his continued ability to deal with these problems. Craig? Thank you, Chuck. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's just a great privilege and honor to be able to gather together as fellow believers that want to be messengers of peace messengers of righteousness, and we just invite your Holy Spirit to come into our conversations this evening, that what is said and done may be glorifying to your name, and that you may be pleased. We pray your your blessing on uh, Dr. Baldwin and his ministry, and that uh, uh, many uh, people will hear and take heart and make make a change in this country, that, that truly uh, we may be, again, a nation under God. We thank you and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Baldwin, would just like you to and start off with uh, your um, any comments on Trump's Unholy War. It's a fantastic article with lots of uh, links uh, to it, like um, General Wesley Clark and, and others. Uh, please tell us how you came to write this and uh, um, what's your thoughts on it. Thank you. Well, thanks, guys. It's let me just say, first of all, thank you for what you guys are doing to promote the truth, and and thank you for the invitation to be on your program again. I appreciate it very much. One of, one of my deepest concerns about the state of the modern church in the United States, and when I when I say church, I'm referring to the evangelical community of believers in our country, is their support for or utter indifference toward the warfare state that the United States has created over the last 50 years or so. We have not fought a just war. We have not fought a lawful war. We have not fought a constitutional war since World War II. And yet we are perpetually at war. I believe that the crime of aggression, as outlined for us in the Holy Scriptures and and given us through his natural laws, is the worst crime that a nation can commit. The crime of aggression has taken its, its form in modern America in two basic fashions. One is the assault against the unborn child. That is a crime of, of aggression by 
the people of the United States represented by its government, which legalized abortion on demand January 22, 1973. So we are 47 years and 60 million plus dead innocent babies as a result of this crime. The other the other form that this crime takes in modern America is foreign war. We are aggressively perpetrating protracted and indefinite war all over the world, especially in the Middle East. We cannot claim self-defense in any of these wars. These are all acts of aggression on our part. For example, when you look at Iran, which is the latest um, evil nation that America has told the American people is our enemy and we must do something of a, of a military manner to, to oppose them, you know, we should remember that we were told the same thing about Iraq, we were told the same thing about Libya, told the same thing about Syria. You know, it, there's always a big bad wolf somewhere in the Middle East that America has got to go to war with. And the comments that were made at the onset of, of this program tonight, that, you know, we seem to be always, you know, forging wars with nations that really are, are for the most part, helpless to defend themselves against the vast military power of the United States. And I think that's that's not a coincidence. But Iran is is the latest and and, and you mentioned Wesley Clark back back in 2007 he exposed the project for a new American century plan to destroy the governments of seven Middle Eastern and North African nations. Uh, you know, Iraq, Libya, and, and uh, so forth. And, and now Iran was the last nation on that list of seven. And now here we are on the verge of a war with, with Iran. So this is not something that is spontaneous. This is not something that is, 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 is just out of the blue. This is something that is a cold, calculated, planned endeavor by the warmongers uh, of Washington, D.C. that are in, in both parties. I have often said in my writing and in my messages that really America does not have, does not have two political parties in Washington, D.C. What we have is one party, and it's the war party. It really doesn't matter what the differences of the Democrats and the Republicans are regarding domestic issues, social issues, what have you. When it comes to perpetual war abroad, incessant foreign entanglements around the world, both the Democrats and the Republicans are in total agreement. And it's also interesting that the mainstream media, which you know everybody says is the enemy of Donald Trump, and you know we have this this great divide, this left-right paradigm, and and you know the, the media hates Trump, and, and and that's that's a constant observation by especially Christian people, evangelical people. But notice when it comes to war, whenever Donald Trump decided to assassinate General Soleimani over in Iraq, notice that all of the mainstream media, New York Times, Washington Post, ABC, CBS, NBC, all of them came together in support of that act of war. And they always do. Anytime there's an act of aggression, anytime there is an act of war committed by the United States around the world, it has the complete approbation of the entire mainstream apparatus. And so we have to recognize that this is something that is that transcends politics. This transcends conservative or Republican paradigm. This this is a I believe a a true manifestation of the globalist neocon agenda for the United States and has been for at least the last well, 40 to 50 years. 
Uh, Pastor Baldwin, you, in the beginning you were talking about natural law. Could you explain that to our listeners, what you mean by that? <laughs> Thank you. It, it, isn't it funny that we have to explain that? Uh, you know, our, our Really, founding, it is. It, it is. It, to me, it's, 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 it's tragic. It is a sign of the ignorance of, of the American church and of the American people in general. There was a time in this country when natural law was understood by virtually everyone in the country. The pastors of colonial America were well-versed in natural law. Our founding fathers were well-versed in natural law. Natural law was really the, the fabric and the glue that, that held our country together in the early days before our war for independence, during and after. The colonial pulpits were... Um, terrific in explaining God's principles of natural law to their congregations. Therefore, the Christians of New England America, colonial America, understood those principles when, when the congregants of Jonas Clark's Church of Lexington stood on Lexington Green in the wee morning hours of April 19, 1775, as the British troops were marching toward Concord for the purpose of arresting Sam Adams and John Hancock that they knew were in the area, and secondly, for the purpose of confiscating the firearms of the colonists in that area. When, when that occurred, Pastor Clark, most of the Minutemen that stood on Lexington Green that morning were members of the Church of Lexington. Pastor Clark had for decades taught his congregation the principles of God's Word, including the natural law principles of God's Word. So when this fateful day arose, and, and it came to that point when men had to stand in, in the face of tremendous odds, they did so with the complete conviction and assurance in their hearts that they were doing that which was right and holy before God, because they had been taught these truths by their pastor for decades. These truths have not been taught in the pulpits of America for the most part for nearly a hundred years. As a result, most of our Christians are totally ignorant of natural law. They don't even understand it. I've got a package of messages, nine sermons that I preached on natural law, liberty, and government that I have on my online store at, at chuckbaldwinlive.com. And I, I talk about this in my message, The Crime of Aggression, which is what we're talking about now with, with this incessant yes. warmongering that's going on. And I explain the biblical principles. When, when King David, uh, in the Word of God, uh, had it in his mind to go to war against a nation that posed no threat to Israel at the time, and... And he was numbering the people for the purpose oh, of yes. putting together his army. God, that's when God uh, you know, judged the nation. Uh, 70,000 uh, children of Israel uh, died in, in that judgment of God. Uh, God informed David that what he was doing was a sin against God, a sin against humanity. And if David had not repented, of his intention to enter into a unjust war, God would have destroyed the entire nation, and God made that very clear at that time. Uh, David repented, and, and God uh, then did state his hand of judgment on the nation, showing the importance of that, that divine natural law principle of unjust war, uh, of the crime of aggression. And Whenever nations ignore that law, they are ignoring the law of God and they are incurring the judgment and the wrath of God upon them. America, I believe, is already experiencing the judgment of God upon it. I believe that we are already in, I don't think it's a matter of when judgment comes, I think it's already here. And I think we can just mm -hmm. look around at the daily newspapers and we can see the signs that we are already in the judgment of God. And I believe that the biggest reason for that is the crime of aggression that America has been committing 
for all these decades. You know, 47 years, uh, cr the crime of aggression committed against unborn children, 60 million dead. Uh, for nearly that same length of time, the crime of aggression and these foreign entanglements and wars. Uh, I've, I've read statistics that say that since World War II, uh, the American military has killed over 2 million people in the various mm -hmm. and sundry wars, mostly in the Middle East. And, and these are mostly innocent men and women who have never harmed the United States, who never intended to harm, nor could they harm if they wanted to, the United States. There was, there was no imminent threat from these, from these people. This was not an act of self-defense on our part. This was a plain, clear act of aggression for uh, the benefit of the war profiteers and the people who make billions and trillions of dollars off of the death and the suffering of others. And God is not pleased with America because of this. And so I believe that we, are, we will continue to spiral downward into the judgment of God if America, especially the pastors and the Christians of America, do not repent of this crime of aggression that we are committing against God and against man so that God can once again bless our country. Uh, Pastor Baldwin, in years, years past, okay, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Chuck. Sorry, Pastor Baldwin. Uh, it, as I listen to you, I think maybe we are making a mistake using the term "war" without putting it in quotation marks and explaining that our wars are really not wars; they're controlled annihilations. And and as you pointed out, they have economic reasons behind them. Uh, someone's profiting from all these wars and. Um, and so perhaps we should, those of us who write like yourself and ourselves, perhaps we should just refuse to use the word war anymore and put it in quotes and, uh, and then explain uh, why, we, uh, why we have these events. And uh, that calls for the question of uh, why in the Middle East are we there? What has what caused us to have uh, four or five of these engagements, uh, annihilations in the Middle East uh, that we've witnessed uh, when not one of the countries involved um, has had the ability to uh, defend itself from us, not even Iraq, which has large populations. Iran has 60 million people, but as we pointed out on one of our programs recently, their, their gross national product of uh, of the country of Iran is one-seventh that of the state of California. Um, yes. They have no ability, as you said, to, to, to defend themselves against us. So how can, we, how, can we, uh, how can we go about convincing people that these wars are not wars? Yeah, I, th that's a great point. And, and I think the terminology here is, is important, and I, I, I take that... Um, Real well, because I think you're exactly right, Chuck. That, that you know, when we when we talk about war, you think about a constitutionally declared just lawful war, which is that everybody more or less understands. And so, when we call all of these um, annihilations, as you said, and, and slaughters of innocent people uh, for strictly political and economic purposes it's not really war so I, I i take that very well thank you for uh for bringing that point up as to the the question why are we doing this i think you and i both know why we are doing this we are doing this at the behest of the zionist state of israel in fact i personally believe that that one of the main reasons that donald trump chose to assassinate General Soleimani, and make no mistake about it, uh, Mr. Trump planned that uh, that circumstance that brought uh, the general to I Iraq and to Baghdad, and he was there to broker a peace deal between the uh, Shiite Muslims of of Iran and the Sunni Muslims of Saudi Arabia, and the president of Iraq had agreed to. Uh, moderate uh, this uh, attempted peace deal between our, uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran, and that's why he was there. And, and he 
he was there for the purpose of of a diplomatic mission. He he was traveling on a diplomatic passport. He flew in on a commercial flight. Uh, obviously, this man was not there to plan attacks against the U.S. embassy in in Baghdad or or any such. And that and that justification has fallen apart over the last few weeks since the assassination. And and now the last thing we heard was. Uh, Donald Trump saying to a bunch of uh, Republican donors a few days ago that that he killed Soleimani because Soleimani was saying bad things about our country. That that was his justification hmm. for committing murder. Uh, he was saying bad things about America. Okay, well they've gone from one one reason to another to another to another, and and I don't think that the real reason has ever been expressed, nor nor will it ever be expressed. I believe that the reason he decided at this time to take out General Soleimani was to help Benjamin Netanyahu win re-election in Israel. Um, Netanyahu is a corrupt criminal politician. Uh, he's been indicted, he and his wife both, by the uh, governing authorities, law enforcement authorities in, in Israel. He's facing uh, charges of corruption. If he were any anyone besides the prime minister, he would be in prison already. Uh, The evidence seems to be overwhelming. And he's literally, not only is he fighting for his position as prime minister, and as you know, they've had two elections over there and with no clear-cut winner, and now they're going back for a third election. Uh, The the country is in a state of of turmoil politically because of the corruption of, of Netanyahu, and yet he controls the Likud party, which is the strongest party of the country. And so the Likud party is, is fighting for its prominence in the politics of, of Israel by keeping Netanyahu in office because he's the most powerful political figure in the country. He's the longest-serving prime minister that Israel's ever had. And yet at the same time, he's fighting these corruption charges and is facing prison times, or at least... Uh, expulsion from government and, and no, you know, no telling what after that. So Mr. Netanyahu is is fighting for his political survival. And Netanyahu is a, is a long-time globalist. He is a, um, he is a, um, a New World Order uh, globalist of the, of the highest order. He's, he's very crucial to the overall global plan of not only the greater... Uh, Israel project, but also the the New World Order project as it as it is iterated here in this country. So it was very important, I think, for President Trump to do whatever he could do, and he's done everything he could do before. I mean, you know, making Jerusalem the capital and uh, authorizing the West Bank expansions and the resettlement programs and all these tyrannical Nazi-like acts of aggression against the Palestinian people that President Trump has has approved. And, and so it hasn't worked. You know, he's still in this quagmire politically. So by, by killing General Soleimani, this has tremendous uh, positive impact upon the re-election efforts of, of uh, Netanyahu. Uh, Netanyahu, of course, is the hawk. He's the one that's always calling for war with Iran, always calling for war with Iraq, always calling for war with Lebanon and Syria. I mean, he, Netanyahu is a warmonger's warmonger. And, and so the fact that the nation of Israel was divided all, on all of this, and you know, some of them were starting to, to, to tire of, of Netanyahu's warmongering, and the political trends were shifting a little bit, toward him a moderate view of, of government in Israel, uh, which does not bode well for Netanyahu. And so the killing of General Soleimani that Netanyahu says is, you know, the, the great Satan of Israel, and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, this is like a trophy for Netanyahu to be able to go to the uh, people of Israel and say, you know, I need to continue to be your prime minister. I'm, I'm Look what I've done to help President Trump get rid of this great enemy of Israel. And, of course, now we know, and anybody who doesn't know this just hasn't researched it, that, that the, that the uh, 
the investigation, uh, the, the plotting, the planning, uh, the intelligence uh, between uh, Israel, namely Netanyahu and, and the Mossad, and President Trump and our CIA was, was the thing that gave us the pinpoint accuracy to be able to entrap and then kill Soleimani. So all of this, this was a joint venture between Benjamin Netanyahu and Donald Trump. They're the only two men in the world, who leaders in the world, I should say, who, who knew that this was going to happen because they were the two that were integral in planning it. So I, I think you and I both know that, that these wars are being fought at, at the behest of Israel. Uh, we, we are in all, in my opinion, our, our U.S. military is, is nothing more than a proxy army for the state of Israel. Very true. And how can we get our brothers and sisters in our churches to, uh, to consider these thoughts? Uh, they would simply say that we're here to pray and God is our interest. That's why, that's why we're in the church and we don't want to get involved in politics. And yet they're deeply involved in world politics uh, all the time. Uh, what, uh, how, do you, how do you think we best proceed to do this, Pastor Chuck? Yeah, boy, are, are they ever involved in politics. I mean, the evangelical churches of the country are, are maybe the most powerful political force than any other single entity in the United States. And I don't even think that that's, that's a question. Uh, the evangelical churches of America, led by the televangelists and, and the big-name evangelical preachers that, that are leading this charge and are always on the news and they're always fomenting uh, political endeavor, uh, you know, fomenting and getting involved, uh, of course, it's very a very partisan political endeavor, uh, always one-sided, of course. And to say that these churches or these preachers are not political is it's, it's just laughable. They, they are the most politically involved group of people uh, maybe in the entire country. So there's no question they're involved, but the, the, the thing, it, it, boil, it all boils down to a... a Massive misinterpretation of the scriptures relative to prophecy. The C.I. Schofield, John Darby version of prophecy, what I call Israel-based futurism, prophetic futurism, has, has produced this unscriptural, and foolish support for this Rothschild state of Israel that was created in 1948 by the Rothschild banking cartel. And it has, it has made that, that country to be a resurrected biblical Israel. Evangelical Christians perceive the, the, the modern state of Israel as being a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. They believe that, therefore, it is our obligation as Christians to support the, the state of Israel and that God will bless America if, if we bless Israel. And they completely misinterpret Genesis 12:3 and and so many other scriptures to prove their point. Well, part of my response would be, okay, let's look at how, how was America doing in 1948 and compare it to how America is doing today. We have been blessing Israel, quote-unquote, <laughs> ever since it came into existence in 1948. In fact, without the help of the United States, it wouldn't have happened. But look at our families were, were our families better off in 1948 than they are in 2020? Or are they better off now? What about our educational, education, our educational systems, our, our, our schools, from, from grade school all the way up to college and universities? How, how are we doing in, in that area? Was our education better 
1948 or worse? Is it better today or is it worse? You know, how, how are we doing spiritually as a country? How are we doing morally? How, how are we doing, um, you know, economically? You know, you say, well, we're in a, we're in a boom and, you know, the economy is great and that's the big, you know, positive everybody talks about with President Trump. You and I both know that, that people are working two or three jobs just to try to ha- have their ends meet. I mean, I mean, this is this is economy that it, that is a bubble economy. This is very similar to what happened in 2008 and 2009. The Federal Reserve has been pumping literally trillions of dollars into the into the various markets, uh, the trade markets, to keep it up and to keep it going. I mean, this is all a facade, and we you know our deficit spending continues to to skyrocket under Donald Trump. Uh, the national debt continues to skyrocket. You know, we are sitting on a house of cards economically. Ron Paul's been talking about this for years, as has other economists have been trying to warn us that, you know, we cannot, we cannot continue to live on borrowed money without the chickens coming home to roost at some point. So, you know, how are we, how are we doing? You know, how are we doing... In, in our spiritual life, you know, is our spiritual life better today? Is there, you know, we have more people professing agnosticism and atheism in America today than at any time in American history. And that trend is escalating. Every year there are more atheists, more agnostics. Our, our churches, for the most part, with only a few exceptions, are, are losing attendance exponentially. Churches, I, I can't remember, I think, that, uh, my, I think if I remember correctly, I don't have it in front of me, the statistic is every year in this country, 4,000 churches close their doors. 4,000 churches a year. So how are we doing as a nation after over 70 years of, quote, blessing, unquote, Israel. Now, this is, a, this is a misinterpretation of Scripture. We are supporting an atheistic, antichrist, apartheid, warmongering state that we call the state of Israel, a, a state that has nothing to do with prophetic scripture that has nothing to do with the nation of Israel in the Bible, has nothing to do with the fulfillment of Genesis 12:3, has nothing to do with the fulfillment of God giving the land to the children of Israel. That was accomplished a long time ago under the reigns of David and Solomon. These scriptures are being twisted in order to support the Zionist state and to beguile the American Christian to, to obtain that support. Because without the support of the evangelical Christian churches and preachers of America, all of this would come crashing down. This, this entire Zionist movement, uh, that, what, which is akin to the neocon uh, political system in America, the, the globalist system, call it the New World Order, call it whatever you want. It, it's all intertwined with the state of Israel. It would, it would all come unraveled if, if evangelical Christians would, would wake up and realize that they have been sold a bill of goods in, in their understanding of biblical prophecy related to Israel and that they are not, they are, they are not following God. They, they have turned their back on God. And God is not blessing us for blessing Israel. He's cursing us because we're blessing this atheistic state that has nothing to do with biblical Israel. So, so guys, until we get the preachers and the American people to understand that they've been duped, Schofield, the Schofield Reference Bible was, of course, the biggest propaganda tool that the Zionists had to be able to indoctrinate the American evangelical Christian into this mindset, and it worked beautifully. And ever since that Schofield Bible camp, which 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 Schofield was, 
He was no Bible scholar. He was a corrupt criminal lawyer that that literally should have been in jail for the crimes he committed against his own family. And he had no uh, theological scholarship. He was a he was an attorney, and he wasn't even a good attorney at that. But he he was friends with many of the influential Zionists of his day. They saw an opportunity to use this man for their purposes. They they financed him. They they backed his efforts. They Oxford Press uh, was the, was the uh, organization that published his his reference Bible. And let me just take a minute because I, I, I'm going on a little bit here, but. Let me just take a minute for people to understand what made the Schofield Reference Bible so popular and what caused its success and thereby all of this indoctrination into uh, prophetic uh, Israel-based prophetic futurism. Here's, here's how it happened. Christian scholars, Bible scholars, Bible commentators, you know, go back and before the 20th century, go back and, you know, the commentaries of, uh, say, John Gill or Matthew Henry or Albert Barnes or Adam Clark, you name it. All these great commentators had such a reverence and awe for the Holy Scriptures that when they wrote their commentaries, they would not put their notes on the same page with the Holy Bible, because they thought by doing this, they were it was elevating their own words to being tantamount to the, the words of, of God in the Bible, and and they had a holy reverence and fear of God's word, and so that's why if you wanted to read the commentaries of these the, of these old scholars, you had to have their books they they put all their commentaries in a separate book so you had the bible sitting on front of in front of you in one book and then you had the comments in in the commentary in, in another book Schofield, the thing that made the Schofield bible so popular and now then all the bible commentators have copied it and they're all doing it Schofield forever changed the methodology of commentator commentaries he put his comments his notes on the same page with the scripture mm. so no longer did you have to have two books whenever you wanted to read the commentary you had the bible and then uh, you could read along side by side verse by verse the comments Schofield's comments along with the scripture and and that as simple a thing as that 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 was the marketing strategy that the zionists used and and it was such a a huge hit because of the convenience of it. You know, never mind the fact that we forget that the these old commentators for thousands of years, in the respect and the and the and the reverence they had for the Word of God, would not allow them to put their words on the same page as the Bible. Schofield didn't have that problem because he didn't have that same respect and reverence for the Word of God. He was a pawn for the Zionists, and this was propaganda. This wasn't theological uh, commentary. So that simple marketing strategy is what made the Schofield Bible so popular. It, it, took, it took fire in the country. Christians just could not, and plus it was in the King James text, which was the beloved text of, of the American people at that time. And, and, and because of that, it became the most popular reference Bible in the world, bar none. And since then, of course, all the commentaries have followed that same, that same marketing strategy. But that's how the Schofield Bible became so popular. Well, once the Bible itself became so popular, then the notes inside the Bible became popular. And pretty soon you had colleges and schools and seminaries and colleges that, that were arising up across the country, all teaching Israel-based prophetic futurism that they that they got from the Schofield Reference Bible. So, it, it it took it didn't take too long, but you know, 50, 60, 70 years, and by the middle to the, the going into the latter part of the 20th century, the entire well, I say, the vast majority of the evangelical community was now absorbed into this false interpretation of 
Israel-based prophetic futurism. In a nutshell, that's how all that came about. And then, and then the political goals followed that. Once the Christians became convinced that it was their duty, that it was their duty under God to support this, this new Zionist state that had just come into to being in 1948. And I think it was cemented in 1967, honestly. I think until 1967 and the Six-Day War, most of our evangelical Christians were not Zionists. But in the, in the 1967 Six-Day War, that's when America's preachers and churches became Zionists. And, oh, look, you know, God, look what God did in the war. You know, how he blessed Israel. He gave him the victory. You know, never mind that this was a cold, calculated plan on, on Israel. This was not a defensive war. They were not attacked by their Arab neighbors. This was a preemptive attack by Israel. They attacked the neighbors, and they invaded. They, they wanted to expand their territory. They wanted to expand the, the, the limits of their, the boundaries of, the, of Israel. And so this was all a plant. But, but whenever they, they won that war, that's when the Christian became Zionist. And this must be God's nation. This must be the fulfillment of the Bible. And ever since then, it's been Israel, 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 Israel. And, and this has resulted in this political philosophy of fighting wars for Israel. It, it all goes back to bad theology. I mean, this shows the importance of getting our doctrine correct because we are reaping global consequences with the deaths of millions of people and the world, you know, on the precipice of, of war constantly, including World War Three and Iran, as weak as they are, of course, I could almost guarantee that they are not going to take the assassination of General Soleimani lying down. The Iranian people, by and large, are a very calculating, studied people. I'm talking about the leaders. And they, they are not emotional in their reactions. Uh, they haven't invaded a country militarily in 250 years. They're, they're very calculated in the way they, they conduct their, their warfare. And, and so it, it, it doesn't surprise me that they haven't responded knee-jerk reaction to the death of General Soleimani. I mean, that little missile attack, that was just for show. Everybody knows that. But don't be, don't be lulled to sleep and think that they are not strategically planning and plotting a substantive reaction to, to the assassination of, of who, in essence, the man was tantamount to our vice president. It would be like if another nation assassinated Mike Pence. That is the, the level of, of leadership General Soleimani had in Iran. He was actually the number two man in the Iranian government. So that, we're not done with that yet. And how that will encompass China and, and Russia and so forth is yet to be seen. But the point is the reason we're doing it, to answer your question, a long way around, I guess, the reason we're doing it is to pacify, mollify Israel because of this false interpretation of the Bible relative to this this false Israel-based prophetic futurism interpretation of Scripture. Well, Pastor Baldwin, you've uh, made this, the phrase uh, "crime of aggression," and I think as we as we look at this, it's it's Talmudic. Uh, the Talmud says, if, you're, if your enemy uh, rises to kill you, rise and kill him first. Uh, this, you know, we used to be a Christian nation, and then they, all of a sudden we're a Judeo-Christian nation, and now it seems to be we're more, more of a Judeo-Christian or Judeo-nation than a Christian nation. Uh, any, any comments on how the, the Talmud has now taken over our way of thinking? Boy, what did you say a mouthful there? And, and you are so, so very right. Uh, you know, we keep hearing evangelical Christians, they write books, they get on television, they, they get in the pulpits and they talk about, you know, watch out for Sharia law, law watch out for Sharia law. You know, Sharia law, mm. Sharia law, Sharia law, Sharia law, books, tomes of volumes, you know, nothing about Talmudic law. And the fact is, and I've documented in my columns, and uh, writers like Michael Hoffman have, have, have documented yes. in his works, 
and uh, my store, my online store at chuckbaldwinlive.com. I carry his wonderful book, Judaism, Strange Gods, uh, because it's so important that people learn this information. Yeah, I mean, the, the town, we, are, we are right now, in many respects, under Talmudic law. And, and, and I mean, we could spend you know, a whole hour or more just on this subject. But when you look at the way that our country it has become more and more dominated by the, the doctrine of judicial supremacy, which is a false constitutional system. In fact, it's not a constitutional system at all. Thomas Jefferson had a lot to say in warning posterity about this, this false doctrine of judicial supremacy. That basically says that the, that the courts are the sole arbiter of the Constitution. Uh, well, that makes the judiciary the most powerful branch of government. That was never the intention mm-hmm. of, of our founding fathers. But when you look at how that came about, it, it's because of, of, of Talmudic uh, philosophy. But Talmudism itself is a, is, is a doctrine of judicial supremacy. It, it, it is a system of government based upon the judiciary. The courts g- control, for the most part, uh, the, um, the entire scheme of government, and, and it's, it's not so much a legislative body that governs the country. It is a judicial-slash-executive, judicial making law and then the executive enforcing the laws that are made by the judiciary, and the legislative branch of government becomes you know, pretty much moot and unnecessary. And when you look at, at Israel, that's pretty much the way Israel is run today. Uh, it, it's run by the judiciary and and a um, executive branch, uh, with the judi- with the legislative being the weakest part uh, of the government. And of course, we know that uh, the Talmudists have infiltrated uh, our our colleges and our universities and our our media, entertainment industries, and of course our news media, all dominated if not controlled by a handful of, of, of very powerful corporate individuals who, for the most part, are Talmudic. So we, you know, all these Christians talking about Sharia law, our, our president and Congress here just, what, a few months ago, just, you know, declared uh, Chabadism to be, uh, you mm-hmm. The great religion of the world and, and Noahide laws uh, are are said to be the laws upon which America was founded. Trump said that, and our Congress actually voted, you know, to recognize uh, Chabadism and the Noahide laws as the as as the laws of America, the overriding governing <clears throat> laws of the United States of America. So, you know, Donald Trump is is a is a Zionist. He's a, he's a Chabadist. He's a Kabbalist. Uh, you know, Jared Kushner and his, the whole family is dominated by Kabbalists and Shabbatists. Um, many of, of Trump's, if not most, of, of his business associates are, are Shabbatists, Kabbalists, and Zionists. I mean, you look at his, his friends. You look at his cabinet. You look at the people that he's appointed to government uh, in, in his administration. And many of them are, are Shabbatists or Kabbalists or Zionists. They're, they, they're all great believers in, in the, the Noahide laws, uh, you know, which is, is, is a system of, of a, is a court system whereby the, the Zionists or the Tomotists or whatever you want to call them are able to control the, the peoples and governments of the world under the rubric of the Noahide laws enforced by Noahide courts which, of course, are, are conducted by and are held by Kabbalists or, or Talmudists. So this, this is a major part of this entire system that we are now seeing put in place in our own country, and not just in our country, but England and, and many other parts of Europe are also being indoctrinated and supplanted by 
this this system of government, which is clearly Talmud. And anybody that knows anything about the Talmud knows that that this is a a, a devilish, satanic book. Uh, this is the this is the written book of the Pharisees, the Pharisees who crucified Jesus at the time of Christ, held to the oral traditions of their fathers, which became, and of course Jesus talked about that, didn't he? He talked about the, the oral oh, yes. traditions of the Father. You've, you've corrupted the Word of God because of the oral traditions of the Father. These oral traditions of the, of the Jewish fathers became the Talmud. And so the Talmud is really the, is nothing more than the written book or the written laws of the Pharisees the Pharisees who were the chief enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Pharisees who were the chief enemies of the early church, the Pharisees who crucified Christ, who, who murdered the, the early apostles and persecuted the church. The, the Talmud is the, is the written law of the Pharisees, and it is, it is satanic to its core. And, of course, the, the, the Talmud speaks of Christ in the most disparaging terms the most blasphemous, derogatory terms that I don't even want to repeat what what it says right. ab about Christ on, on the air. But it's filthy, vulgar blasphemy against the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is this is in the Talmud. I mean, people talk about the Koran. The the Koran is is mild and benign compared to the Talmud. And yet Christians don't even think about it. They don't. They don't. They don't want to talk about it. They won't ever mm -hmm. say anything negative about it because it's it's Jewish. And if it's Jewish, we're right. supposed to support it because of Genesis twelve three. Blah blah blah. So, guys, that's the reason. That's the reason that we are embedded in perpetual war in the Middle East. Um, Doctor, uh, this is Chuck again. Um, uh, since since the evangelical churches uh, seem to have adopted what amounts to uh, Talmudic beliefs and are are largely controlled by this, and uh, by the way, uh, in scriptures there are literally dozens of places that denounce the Pharisees. Yes, um, in the in the most clearer terms that one can imagine. Uh, at, and nevertheless, nevertheless, these practices are now accepted by the evangelical church because of the influence of Israel and the tremendous propaganda efforts that have been made uh, to cause them to accept the idea that the state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, as you pointed out earlier. Uh, so we have a tremendous uphill battle in trying to change our former brothers and sisters in these churches where uh, some of us uh, spent years of our lives where we were deacons in, in, in Baptist churches, where we had positions in churches and worked for them. And now we have this frustration of we can't change them because they're hung up on this Talmudism that they're taught and uh, they, they don't recognize the Phariseeism as a part of it. They ignore that, they don't consider that as anything like the present state of Israel. If you told them that the Israeli priests today are the Pharisees of the Old Testament and the New Testament, they would turn their back on you and ignore it. So my question is, as we face up to this realistically in our short lives and we want to leave behind us some change, um, is it possible that we would do better trying to approach the old mainline churches that uh, have never suggested, accepted the idea formally that Israel, the state of Israel, is anything other than a political state? Um, would we, would we uh, make better progress if we focused on these churches and tried to point out the facts that you have laid out so clearly for us tonight? What do you think? Wow, you know that's a that's a great thought. Uh, I I don't know that I had really thought of it strategically. 
So that's something I think we should think about. You are exactly right. Some of the the, the what we would call mainline uh, Protestant denominations have never been enamored with the modern state of Israel and have, have never really taught uh, theologically or in their Sunday schools or their curriculum um, the, the doctrines of Christian Zionism as we, are, as we find them in the evangelical movement. Um, the, the Lutherans, for example, maybe the Episcopalians, the Presbyterians, some of the old guard in those denominations certainly uh, were not caught up with, with Christian Zionism. When, when you look at, at, at the doctrines of Christian Zionism, basically you're talking about Baptist churches, both Southern Baptist, Independent Baptist, and, and so forth, you're, you're talking about charismatic churches. You're talking about Pentecostal churches, uh, Assembly of God churches. You're talking about some of your uh, non-denominational Bible churches that they would call themselves mm-hmm. Bible churches. Um, th- that, th- that group of evangelicals comprised the vast majority of those that would identify with Christian Zionism. And, but they are the, the largest group, combined group, of the evangelical community. Certainly they are the most um, powerfully connected group of, of the Protestant community in, in America politically. So, you know, that, that that's a very interesting thought, Chuck. I had never... I had never really thought of it that way. You know, you mentioned the Pharisees. I have two packages on Israel. You know, I used to, you, you guys know this, I used to be um, a, a, a Schofieldite, if you want to call it that. I mean, this, the first Bible that I ever got in my life was a Schofield reference Bible. I still have it. Um, I was schooled in Christian Zionism, even though it wasn't called that. That's what it was. I uh, this Israel-based prophetic futurism. I was educated in those doctrines uh, in every every Bible college that I attended, and I taught those doctrines for th- over 30 years in my first pastorate because I I didn't know anything else. And so long, my testimony could get kind of long, but God finally awakened me to the error. Of, of this doctrine, and I had to publicly, and I did recant my position, and I apologized, you know, for teaching error all those years, and so for the last several years, at least six or seven or so more years, I've been doing everything I can to make right that which I had made wrong with with, with my study of prophetic scripture, and I've been I, I put together a. a two-package set. It's called the Israel Package. And the, ver- the first three messages, there's, there's 15 messages in Package 1. There's eight messages in Package 2. And, and the first three messages of, of Set 1 of the Israel Package is Christ and the Pharisees. And I spent three messages going over what you just talked about, the the animosity and and the hatred that the pharisees held against the lord jesus christ and in fact i would challenge our our listeners you take you take time to read the four gospels and take some kind of a marker and mark every mention of the pharisees in the four gospels and then after you've marked every every occurrence, then go back and, and make an effort to read just those passages and and it'll shock you what you what you will what you will see. You will see that the gospel the gospels of, of, of the Lord as recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are replete with examples of the the battle between the Pharisees and Christ. It was a continual, perpetual assault 
by the Pharisees against the Lord Jesus Christ. It was, it was ongoing. It was incessant. It never ended until they crucified him. And, of course, as you read the Gospels, you know that they tried to stone him to death many times before they eventually convinced the Roman government to crucify him. So this, this is exactly right. I mean, that, that point about the Pharisees cannot be, cannot be overestimated because if you took away all of the references in the Gospels to the Pharisees and their hatred of Jesus and their, their desire to kill him, you would take away a large percentage of the gospel narrative. It, it, you can't, in fact, I will even be so bold as to say, if you do not understand the warfare between the Pharisees and the Lord Jesus Christ as recorded in the gospels, you really do not understand the gospels at all. So everything that we're dealing with here relative to the modern state of Israel has its seed in the hearts and the minds of the Pharisees that eventually crucified Christ, persecuted the early church. And, you know, we talk about the modern Israel. I mean, most Christians don't even know that Israel today, the, the, this Zionist state of Israel created in 1948, that they have a, a, a Sanhedrin. They have a Sanhedrin. I mean, right. The Sanhedrin, this was, this was the governing council of, of Israel. This comprised, of course, of, of Pharisees and others. But the Sanhedrin was the, was the body of men that pronounced their judgment of death upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and that body, that Sanhedrin body, is back in existence in Israel today. And they are starting the animal sacrifices again, and of course they want to build that that third Jewish temple, which the new which the Bible does not prophesy in any shape, manner, or form. It's a to, to completely a false prophecy that says that God uh, predicted or prophesied a third Jewish temple uh, from which the Antichrist. You know, that's not, not true, not, not, not biblically correct interpretation. And, and then the other thing about that, if I have time, just let me just mention this. Think about this. If it were true, if it were true that, you know, there's got to be a third temple built, who's the temple for? The temple is for the Antichrist. The, the Antichrist is mm -hmm. going to come, supposedly, and he's going to, you know, present himself as Christ. He's going to be worshipped as God. And then what's he going to do? He's going to declare war on the world, and three-fourths of the world's population is going to be destroyed, including the Israeli population that we now know it as. And so these Christians that are giving millions and millions of dollars to help the Sanhedrin build a third Jewish temple, they are assisting the Antichrist. And then they say, well, this has to happen before Jesus can come. And, of course, then they're going to be raptured to heaven before all the bad stuff happens. And so they don't have to deal with all the things that they helped to create, which I find interesting. But nevertheless, if they would stop and just stop and think about what they're doing, by promoting this false system, this antichrist system, religious system, political system, military system, economic system, by helping, by blessing it, by sending money, and, and by supporting it politically and financially and every other way, they are assisting the Antichrist. Can they not see that, guys? Where in the Bible are we instructed to help the Antichrist? We are instructed to resist evil. We, we are instructed to have no fruitful, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, etc. But it, it's just a part of this false prophetic system that began with the acceptance of the Schofield Reference Bible that has mushroomed into this almost monopoly of evangelical thought that has risen to 
national prominence politically, and now especially with Donald Trump, who is America's first Zionist president, who has taken these, these things that we've been talking about today and be implementing them on an international level that, that, that includes you know, war, maybe global war, and who knows where it's going to end up in that regard. All because evangelical Christians have adopted a false interpretation of prophetic scripture. Your idea of going to the mainstream churches and, and trying to, to work through them might be, might be a good strategy. But all I know is that until the Christians of America on, on a whole do not awaken to the unscripturalness and the inaccuracy and dare, dare I say the devilishness of, of, this, of this false understanding of prophecy, this is only going to continue, and it's going to, it's going to mushroom, and there is no way that God can allow this to continue indefinitely without his judgment falling hard on this country. Gentlemen, I can't think of a better place to pause. I don't want to stop. I know there's so much more to talk about. Maybe we can continue at another time and talk about some positive efforts that we are both making. We thank uh, Chuck Baldwin for his terrific ministry and for the change in his life that brought him here to this point where we can talk like this and listen to him and, and, and be uh, so moved by what he has to say, be inspired, and we thank you for that. And we, 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 and we, have, and we know so many others who have a similar course. And this has got to be God working in our lives, and uh, we, uh, we need to hearken to His words and uh, follow the wisdom that we come up with that He that He gives to us when we really do seek Him. And uh, it's clear that uh, our guest tonight, uh, Dr. Chuck Baldwin, is one of those who is seeking him so strongly and sincerely and in such a dedicated way. Craig, do you have a final thought before we close? I just want to say again, thank you, uh, Dr. Baldwin, for your courage to be able to stand up uh, against the, the Zionists and to, to proclaim the word of God. And we, again, we, we just thank you for taking uh, this hour to spend with us this evening. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. And, and, I, and I, can I, before I, I close, can I give the, the website for, for listeners? Of course. A word of, the main website is uh, chuckbaldwinlive.com. Chuck Baldwin Live, all one word, dot com. And uh, go to the top where it says store, and that's where uh, the books that we have and, and, the, and my video sermons and messages are all there. And, and I have quite a few uh, DVDs on the subject that we've discussed today that I think would really help viewers if they, if they uh, had an opportunity to obtain this. So I thank you for letting me do that. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1.